Welcome to the Total Car Score podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. Well, welcome back to another episode. And this week, uh, we don't have Carl Brower, but we have Lauren and we have our friends and colleagues, Michael Harley and Paul Bryan. How are you, Michael? Doing fine. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you very much. And Paul in Chicago? Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And Lauren in Buffalo? Yes, I'm in Buffalo. In it's sunny like Buffalo. Colleen. <laughs> Colleen roll, roll call at school. <laughs> it sounds like. Here. <laughs> yeah, we're not so the anyway, right people to be doing that with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Carl is not with us this week because he's doing something really cool, I think. Uh, do you who wants to explain it? Michael, maybe you know more that yeah, Carl is with him directly. These, uh, he's on one of these uh exotic car rallies, and uh, obviously, uh, I think the whole world knows for Carl has a Ford GT, and uh, he's joined up with a whole bunch of other exotic car owners and Ferraris and Lamborghinis and McLarens. And they are touring the, uh, let's see, the western coast of the United States uh, from, I think, Palm Springs to Yosemite to Santa Barbara uh, up to, uh, I believe, even Carmel. And uh, he's doing it for a full week. And I think he's going to put, Lauren, correct me if I'm wrong, a couple thousand miles on his car. Yeah, that does deplete the value. But Carl does not care. He drives <laughs> it. I've got I've got a GT as well. I think I've got, I think I'm pushing 2,000 miles. Maybe not even that much. Maybe 1,200. Wow. If it keeps a smile on its face, it's worth it. He's having a lot of fun. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say that. What, though, as, as Carl kind of said, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I, I, I like his attitude on it where he said a, a ship is a beautiful thing to behold when it's in port, but it's really meant to be at sea. And, uh, I think that's what he's doing. He's putting his ship to sea. You know, it's uh, it's fulfilling its destiny. Exactly. And uh, I'm sure we're going to hear about uh, that uh, trip next week or soon enough. But uh, this week I wanted to do this special show because I'm not, I didn't even write a script. I'm just going to read off my uh, email inbox. So GM invests $1 billion for EVs in Mexico. EV sales boom. Hyundai is investing in uh, hydrogen technology. Electrify America opens 600 public ultra-fast electric vehicle charging stations. I mean, and it goes on and on and on. So are we already or at that tipping point in the industry where like, we're really going to the EV? So um, let's start with uh, Michael. Uh, I am going to say the uh, the industry all seems to have jumped on the bandwagon, but uh, I believe the passengers are still in the station, and uh, and that's and that could be quite frustrating. Uh, you know, it's like they've invested all this money in high speed rail, you know, ten times the normal cost, and uh, they turn around and look and realize that all the trains are empty because uh, consumers are still not ready to adapt something that doesn't have the infrastructure. I mean. You know, I'm in Southern California. It's 90 degrees today, and we're going to have brownout soon, where we can't even supply enough power to run air conditioners. So, uh, I question the ability of the uh, the grid. So, yeah, and I think Paul, you had some interesting stats about that, right? Like, can we yeah, have you know every, everybody anything is, that can support that kind of demand? Sure. I mean, you know, everybody was talking about you know, gee, we 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 need to move to uh, to EVs. 
and we're going to build these stations and stuff. And, and whether you have a station there or not, you have to have the capacity to pass along power that is generated. And, and I did some research on this. I, I used to do some consulting in one of my past lives for uh, the Edison Electric Institute in D.C. And one of the things that I found most interesting is that for a one, for a one megawatt plant, a thousand, thousand megawatt plant, that's a nuke plant. It requires about one square mile in order to build that plant and operate it safely. And that's based on the 59 nuke plants that we've got across the United States. And the Enviro crowd, for lack of a better term, they don't like nuke. They don't like coal. They don't like natural gas. They keep saying, well, we can do it with solar and we can do it with wind. So I said, hmm, yeah. Well, what kind of a footprint would it take to equivocate a solar farm or a, a wind farm that would do the same thing as a one square mile nuke plant. So, you know, I said, this is, this is like the, uh, the price is right to uh, get a get showcase challenge. Showcase, yeah. showcase showdown. That's what I was waiting for. So in order to do it with solar, what the, here, there, there's another factor in here. Remember that a nuke plant operates at about 90% efficiency. Solar operates at about 17 to 28% efficiency and a wind farm. Eat their sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cloudy. That's the other thing. And, and a wind farm from 32 to 47% uh, on those. So if, if you were to take a nuke plant and you wanted to generate the same amount of electricity as a year as a nuke plant, uh, the facility re would require approximately 260 square miles if you did that in wind and 360 square miles of land for wind. So let's put that into perspective. You say, okay, well, the, how big is that? Well, all of New York City, all five, uh, all five boroughs is about 305 square miles. So you're talking about a footprint bigger than I mean, you you'd have to plaster the entire city of New York everything Manhattan Island the Bronx Staten Island you know on and on and on and on but uh Lauren uh I know you're a big fan but isn't Elon Musk doing that in Texas in uh Nevada and all those places Germany even well, I think Germany, he's having a lot of trouble in Germany. Uh, we need our friend Anton Wallman on for that. But um, but in Germany, he's having a lot of issues, uh, Elon Musk is, with passing all of the regulations because they're giving him a lot of hurdles to clear because he wants to take down all this forest. And what's there is the black forest. I mean, historically, this is an environmental thing. And they want to tear down trees so he can put up a huge plant, which I find amusing. But what's really interesting is, Everyone's saying we, we have to go, we have to do EVs, we have to do it globally. This is what everybody's saying is the way to go. Well, China says, yeah, we're going to do that too. By 2035, we're going to be all electric. But what they didn't tell you, and this is something that, again, what the big print take gives, the small print taketh away, and this is what no one's talking about, is 
all of the nuclear power plants they're building. And that I find extremely interesting. So just to give you an idea, China has built from uh, 2016 to 2020, they built 20 new nuclear power generators. And there are 17 being built right now as we speak. How many are we building now, Lauren? I was going to ask the same question. Yeah. We, us here in the U.S.? Yeah. Zero. Oh, come on. We're Zero. shutting them, them down. down. We're shutting them down. Exactly. Yeah. And that is a huge problem. So, for example, the lovely governor we have here in New York State has decided to take the massive power plant that takes the energy and sends it down to New York City and takes power from Niagara Falls, which is near me, and sends that down. To, to New York City. I have been in the city with a brownout that is with nuclear power and with air, uh, water generated electricity. So he's shutting down this plant. What are we going to do when everyone's got their AC units on and it's 80 degrees in the middle of August? You're going to have no power just like they do in California. And Mike, you live in California. You've probably experienced it. Yeah, and not absolutely. only that. Remember what happened in Texas with the uh, with the winter storm. I mean, yeah. it was the the opposite of heat, but it's still the same result, right? Like the demand. Right. But that's because was... of baseload power. So they put nine people on this environmental energy board in a state where their number one product is oil. Oil. <laughs> and then they said, we're going to do wind and solar. So the nine people, they all said, yeah, we're going to do wind and solar. So they reduced <laughs> baseload. Baseload is coal and natural gas. So we're going to take that down and we're just going to use wind and solar. So they started putting up all these solar panels and all these wind farms. And when the snow hit and the wind uh, turbines didn't work, they were sending helicopters up to spray antifreeze on them to try and get them started because it takes an electric motor to start the propellers because they're so heavy. And then, of course, the solar panels aren't working. And so they had no base load left, very little. So after all this was over with, six of the nine people that were on this energy board quit before they got fired. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we learned a lesson there in a very small area of our country, but it's a big one of the big states. Fascinating conversation because, again, things are happening. I mean, we're seeing, uh, Lauren, you have an electric car in your driver right now. I just had one yesterday. So let's come back to the next segment and talk about the political push behind all this and what is going to really happen. So we'll be back with that. special episode of the Total Car Score podcast. And this week we are with Michael Harley, Paul Bryan, and Lauren Fix. And Lauren, I left you with a question. I mean, the political aspect of all this EV push is really hard. I mean, like the government, the new administration is all into this, right? Oh, yeah. And I know Mr. Bryan has something to say about it as well. But I'll, 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 t- I'll share it with you. How was that, Paul? Because I know we're on the same page. So I have a Volkswagen ID4. This is Volkswagen's new entry level. They want to compete with the Mach-E, which I will not call the first name of that vehicle because it's a Mach-E. Mustang. <laughs> uh, no, I won't use that word because oh. I have real Mustangs. <laughs> That's a sin in at least uh, four or five countries. Um, but um, it's a nice vehicle. But you know what? It's, it's uninspiring. So you know what showed up in my driveway today? Because we get different vehicles we rotate. I've got my Volkswagen ID4. I did a, an honest review of what I thought. And then I get delivered to me the Dodge Durango Hellcat. Yes. Now wow. we're talking power. I'm going to the drag track, baby. <laughs> Let's burn some dinosaurs. Oh, my God. You fired that thing up and it just makes you smile. It's a, It creates an emotion. It's sort of like starting a 9-11, right, Mike? Same thing. You fire Absolutely. It up, oh, yes. 
Hey, have you guys? So, Paul, before, before Michael talks about the 9-11 and, and other Porsche things that I want to talk about, too, what were you going to say about the politics behind the EV push? Uh, the current administration is pushing very hard for this Green New Deal, and you should be very aware that it's going to make gasoline prices go up. And for those that are, who's going to get hurt? This is my big factor. Who's going to get hurt when all these electric vehicles are shoved down your throat and they're incentivizing the heck out of them so wealthy people can add that to their collection of their suburban? What's going to happen is the average person, the normal person who works a regular job is going to come home and go, I have to sell our car, which we own which is typically 12 to 15 years old, to buy a car that has a car payment to pay double the insurance rate and pay for electricity, which is going to get more expensive because supply and demand, higher demand, higher prices. So I think we're going to realize that the person getting hurt is the everyday person. And in my opinion, I think we have a cash for clunkers coming down the road. Lauren, you also have a, an additional cost. It's $1,000 to put a level two charger in your house. Yes, and uh, that's a cost that? that a lot of people just can't bear. I mean, it just mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to me. You know, it's uh, we're putting the uh, the cart before the horse. The automakers mm -hmm. are pushing these cars. We don't have the infrastructure. There's no demand. There's no pull from the consumer exactly. side. It's a hundred percent push, 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 shove down their throat. Exactly. You know this. You know when, when Javier started out, he said, uh, "You know, are, are we seeing a, a big boon in uh, EV sales?" Well, hell. All of this hoorah that's going on right now, and we're still under 2% of the market that's asking for them. It's all of this hoorah for nobody on the other end that's going to sign on a dotted line for the cars. So the numbers are stupid. We've got a national fleet of 330 million vehicles. If you started tomorrow and you said, look, We're going to sell nothing but electric cars starting tomorrow, and we're going to sell them at a rate that we've never sold cars in total before. We're going to sell 20 million units a year. Hmm. It still takes you 15, 18 years to turn over the fleet. So I guess I guess that headline that I read was maybe it went from 1% to 2%, which is a 100% increase, right? Oh, it's doubled. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. And I talked to dealer friends of mine, and I, I spent 20 years in a dealer association here in Chicago. And I, I'll say, hey, who's knocking on your door to buy, to buy an EV? And he says, you know, ah, well, we're not doing all that much. They're a lot <laughs> more concerned about getting regular product that's suffering right now because of a chip shortage. Right. And, and, and it's astonishing to me to see some of these CEOs who are waking up and... and Unreal. And, and they're going, uh, wait a minute, we buy our chips where? And Yeah, that's another problem. <laughs> yeah. you, should, so, you should know your products. <laughs> it's crazy. So, Lauren, you have the Volkswagen ID, uh, World Car of the Year, by the way. So I guess that's something, yes. too. No, that's <laughs> and you awesome. Really, and uh, you, you, you like it, I mean, in some ways. I mean, it's not a perfect car by any stretch of an imagination. Well, you know but it, it has to be done because if you don't do it, the EPA and the uh, NHTSA and all the rest of the government entities will have their hands out saying, listen, you didn't make the corporate average fuel economy. You're not abiding by our Green New Deal. We are going to fine you to the wall and it could bury a company. But going the other way, they're producing cars and not even Tesla has made $1 profit. They're in business to make money. They've got to pay bills. They've got salaries. You got to turn on the lights. They've got, it's very expensive to run a car company. 
Otherwise, Apple would have jumped into it already. And I'm sure they're thinking about it very carefully. Is this a wise choice? And these are the kind of things I always say, you know, it's very easy to think that anyone's, everyone's going to make this product. We're all going to buy it. We're going to make money. No, it doesn't. It's not field of dreams. And Ford will tell you that GM and even Tesla are not making a profit. I'm sure Paul's got something to chime in on that. The only way to sell electric cars right now is with a big incentive on the hood. And, uh, and consumers gobble up the $7,500. They like the tax breaks, but pull that away. And they look at the you know $40,000 Volkswagen ID4 and they go, hmm, that's expensive. Michael, let's put everything aside uh, because no, wait, this or, week or one, I... Just one quickie. Um, okay. In the world car competition, and you know, I know their cars are different from our cars in North American Car and Truck of the Year Awards, but was the Mach-E in their competition as well? No. I don't no, know. Because uh, most of their jurors have not driven it. So I wonder if it's going to be eligible in, in their voting next year. Again, if it's available for the jurors to test it, to test yeah. drive it. I, f- I found so, the Mach-E a delightful car to drive. Yeah, it's a, I think I like even even Lauren liked it, even though she doesn't want to call it by its name. I liked it. I liked it. It had a, it had a few issues. The seats weren't exactly as comfortable as they should be. But you know, considering it being a daily driver, I think they did a really great job as their first true effort into electric driving. Yeah. So, Michael, let's talk a little, a little bit about one of your many specialties, like Porsche. Like you love Porsches. You you know a lot about them. Right. And I have one too. So do you. Yeah. No, I drove the Taycan for the first time ever. Lauren and me were at the Global Reveal in Toronto in the Niagara Falls. I remember that. What was it? September 2019, right, Lauren? That was 19. It was pre-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So the car is really impressive. I've driven other electrics, including the ID4, some Teslas, um, the Nissan Leaf or anything. But this car is like something else. So... I, I ex- experience a Porsche, even though it doesn't have any sound, obviously, from an internal combustion engine, but it's really a Porsche. So, Michael, you're like much better than me at explaining why is that. Yeah, it's fascinating because what Porsche did is obviously they're part of Volkswagen Group, which uh, everyone knows is committed to electrification. And uh, so they started with a clean sheet design and they say, we're going to make an electric vehicle from the ground up, but it's got to be a Porsche. So they spent just as much time working about the suspension, the driving dynamics, the brakes, uh, the steering. Uh, They didn't just go out of their way to work on a propulsion system, which many can argue that's what Tesla did. You know, Tesla took uh, actually a brilliant electric motor battery combo and put it on a rather, you know, traditional McPherson stretch suspension system. So uh, Porsche has effectively created the complete package and uh you know and that's the interesting thing now the the reality is most people are still looking for an appliance but a true connoisseur someone who likes to drive the four of us would notice the difference immediately and i think that's what you experienced javier when you drove the uh the taycan yeah and it's a beautiful car too especially in that frozen very metallic color for it looks pink it well, looks that's pink. what I gotta say. <laughs> <Most> <laughs> people look pink. Uh, it looks pink. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of that color. And we should also add that Javier, you drove the base model, and I know. Uh, I've had that's the, even more amazing. I've had the top of the line Turbo S. Ignore the fact that it does not have a turbo. Uh, I drove that one on the Autobahn and hit almost 170 miles an hour. Wow. Uh, it's a rocket ship. It's what like just, 600 and some oh 613 crazy amount of foot pounds or something that, like that literally makes you nauseous it's one of the only cars uh you know people that have never driven an electric car even the most basic electric car launches off the line with 
a lot of authority. And uh, now you get a car that does zero to 60 in 2.2 seconds. And oh, it, literally your stomach is not ready for it. And the other thing that's kind of cool is Lauren will tell you, you've got a muscle truck right now. When you floor it, you hear the roar, the combustion, the explosion, and it sort of yes. resets your mind for the resulting acceleration. Yeah. This electric car, it just slams it. It looks like the elevator no is falling out from under your feet. And uh, it's it's thrilling, but it can be nauseating. And uh, it's a lot of fun to be going 40 miles an hour, mash the throttle, and watch everybody's head in the car smash against the head restraints. I actually have heard that from other people that it makes you feel sick if you're not ready for it. So oh, it does. It does. I, my passenger in Germany looked at me and said, stop that, Mike. It's not funny anymore. And I giggled. <laughs> and it's just, it's, and you can't do that even with a Hellcat or a Demon, you know, because they hear it coming and they go, they look over, they go, okay, slow down. This is just like, bzz, bzz, bzz. It just, it's fun. It's, uh, yeah, you know, and I, I've got I, nothing against electric cars. Uh, it's just a different mindset. So yeah, completely different experience too. I mean, like you have to be ready. And actually, there's a learning curve, not only in the driving experience of it, but as you mentioned before, the installation of a charging station. I just did that today, literally. They just finished, and yeah, it's expensive. So most people charging station, Javier, you can wake up every morning for a 200, 250 mile range, and the odds that you're going to go further than that are you know one percent. You know, maybe you're going to head somewhere else. But for the most people, you go to bed, you plug in your car on a level two charge, you charge during off hours, off peak hours, and you wake up to a full charge. And it's a great, I use the word appliance over and over again. It's a great appliance to get from point A to point B and you save your four GTs and your Porsches for the weekend. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm you're doing go. and where you're going, I guess. Everyone's got a different right. lifestyle. Right. Right. Oh, of course. So I'm going to go back to the original question for the final thoughts of, on the segment. Are we really at that tipping point? It's like obviously the technology and the the push for EVs is is here, but uh, what do you think, Michael? What what are we gonna see in twenty thirty five that California allegedly is not gonna sell any more internal? Combustion? I think we're at the tipping point for the consumers to just about get ready to push back. Uh, right now, there is an abundant well, there used to be an abundant supply of combustion vehicles in the showrooms, but when consumers walk in and realize that the only thing they have left to buy are expensive EVs, they're going to start pushing back. And uh, right now it's been a very affluent gig where the people that have money are buying the EVs because they want to show the rest of the world they're saving the planet, whether or not they are or not. But I think that we are at the tipping point where the consumers are start going to, are going to start getting frustrated. So, yeah. Paul? Uh, I'm saying no. I don't think we're at a tipping point at all. You, you know, as as we've all noted, you've got 98% of the market that's voting with their, their pocketbook and they're saying, you know, EVs are not new, they're available, but everybody's going, eh, do I really want to spend this money for this when I could be buying this and gas was $2 a gallon? Well, now that's under siege as well, especially with shutting down pipelines, etc. So, so, Lauren, you are at the tipping point because you have the <laughs> IV and the lemon. So I have to take a picture and post it on my Instagram account. It's at Lauren Fix. I'm going to have this little teeny Volkswagen next to this big, monster, muscular, powerful SUV. I love it. Well, it's we'll see what fun. happens. Not in 15 years, but uh, in the next few months. Anyone that spent a lot of money on a car 
at, think of the wealthy people. They went to auctions, they went to Barrett Jackson, they went to RM auctions, and they spent $30 million on a car. Do you think those people have enough power against politicians to say, we're not doing this because I want to drive my Ferrari, I want to drive my exotic whatever? I think those people have a lot of power, and I think it's fine to let to put those out there, but I think in the end there's going to be a mix. I agree. Excellent. Well, great agree. conversation, Michael. Thank you very much for your time. I uh, uh, was glad to see you in person a few weeks ago. I hope that it happens was great again soon. You in Tucson. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Paul, same. I mean, haven't seen you in a while, but I hope I know. That, uh, I, I almost made it to uh, to <laughs> Tucson, but I, I got yeah. snicked by shot number two of my COVID vaccine, which was excellent. Uh, I hope you don't get any secondary yeah. effects. You know well, what? Lauren, we're, Mike, I know you want, Lauren, so uh, I hope uh, You know what? We, can't tell everyone. Uh, we should tell everyone where to find Mike Harley and Paul Bryan. Mike, tell us where we can find you online in case someone wants to send you a note. Uh, let's see. You can go and find me on Instagram. It's just at Michael Harley, one word. And... Uh, that's probably the easiest way to find me. Just and you're an auto expert. You're an, you're uh, one of the senior guys at autoexpert.com. At car expert, correct. Car and, expert, sorry. Uh, I didn't want to change Let's see. Name. I write for Forbes. You can find me on Forbes. Just search for Michael Harley and you'll find me. Paul? I uh, Easiest way to find me is through Twitter. I, t- I tweet at the Paul Bryan, P-A-U-L-B-R-I-A-N, not Y. I also tweet after cabbage rolls, but we won't go into that. Uh, <laughs> oh man! And uh, <laughs> well, it's been, it's been my hallmark for years. Always entertaining, okay. sometimes actually informative. Uh, and, and also <laughs> uh, Instagram too. Yeah, Lauren at thecarcoach.com, right? Well, or yes, or you find me Car Coach Reports on YouTube, and Paul and I also do a show called His Turn, Her Turn. Hopefully, we will get back to that soon because i miss being on the road with you guys excellent thank you again and i love uh talking to people who know a lot more than me because i always learn something so thank you again everybody okay thanks guys guys. thanks for listening thank you for listening for more check us out online at totalcarscore.com